Good evening, everybody. Today is um, the eve of Great Friday, as we all know. So today is the final, the final evening Beskha, and then tomorrow we have Great Friday, God willing. Honestly, doing, uh, trying to find a topic for, for today to focus on was, was a lot harder than I expected. Um, originally, I was, I was going back and forth to talk about different things, and I was actually uh, with a friend of mine studying, and we were talking and just catching up about stuff, and he was uh, telling me how he was stressed about school, and he's planning a wedding, and just like life in general, you know, the general anxieties and the pressure that we feel in society. And between our discussion, somehow the topic of therapy was brought up. And uh, nowadays, therapy is becoming a lot more popular and common, especially in our, in our Coptic society, which is great, which is definitely great. Um, we were just talking about general pros and cons about therapy and how, you know, sometimes um, the label of depression might be a little bit overused. And we were just going back and forth and talking. And in the middle of a conversation, there was actually somebody, so we were in a classroom at a university, and we were just both studying. So in the middle of our conversation, there was somebody coming, and she was checking um, to, making, to make sure everything was clean for the next class. And me, just being the random person I am, I just asked her, hey, generally, what's your, what's your opinion about therapy? And the next thing I know, She's explaining her entire life, her entire life, and how therapy changed her life. Um, she ended up actually sharing that she had therapy for high school, college, and grad school. And we were going back and forth, back and forth, just discussing um, anxiety and just depression and a lot of the pressures that we have in our, in our society today and mainly actually through social media. And then something she said struck me. She was like, how can I help others if I can't even help myself in my time of need? Um, she was in grad school to become a chaplain. And uh, a chaplain is actually an, an ordained minister type person. Uh, they can be male or female. They have um, the authority to give pastoral care, but they're hired by a non-religious organization. So a chaplain, typically you'll find chaplains in hospitals and the military actually has uh, quite a bit of chaplains. So they're hired to offer um, religious guidance by a non-religious institution. So I just thought that was, that was cool to, to see somebody um, in that career path. But I want to focus on the idea of where do we go to in our time of need? Where, who do we turn to? Do we turn to ourselves? Do we turn to our friends? Do we turn to our parents, our families, our spouse, and whatever. So with that, I'd like to take a look at um, the third hour where the scene is set at the Garden of Gethsemane of our Lord. And just some background, Gethsemane is an Aramaic word, and it means oil press. So Gethsemane was a garden east of Jerusalem, and Christ often retreated there with his disciples, and this is actually mentioned in several of the Gospels. And this is why actually Judas knew where Christ would be and, why he, and, and so he brought the guards with him because he already knew that Christ was going there because Christ retreated there often. 
And I want to make a, a quick comparison between Christ in the garden, and we know Christ, we call him the second Adam, right? And so we have the first Adam in the garden, and mirroring that is Christ in the garden as well. So we have the first Adam hiding from God, and then the second Adam running to God in prayer. And the first Adam was with his companion Eve. The second Adam had no companions with him when he was trying to um, um, tell the disciples, sit here and watch with me, pray with me. And yet their, their eyes were heavy, so they were, they were asleep. They were asleep almost the entire time. And then we see the, the very serious language that the Gospels say. Christ was sweating great drops of blood. Physiologically speaking, um, having drops of blood sweat from you is going to be um, the product of severe, severe, severe anxiety and hypertension, so high blood pressure. And so what happens is when you, high, when you have high blood pressure, your capillaries, little, little vessels, they start to rupture. And with that rupture, the blood goes into the sweat and you end up sweating, sweating blood. Um, you can commonly see actually in the eye when someone has been um, looking at a computer or looking at something for a long time and straining their eye, their eyes are red. So it's those capillaries, capillaries that start to rupture. And we see Christ tries three times with the disciples. So we know that he brought three disciples with him, Peter and then James and John. Um, he goes three times to the disciples and he says, sit here, watch with me and pray. Now at that time, um, Jesus was actually practicing the prayer of the midnight wa or the, the, the watches. So even in Aragbeya now, we have the first watch, the second watch and the third watch. After the, after the midnight prayer. And so these watches were actually designated times of prayer. And so what I want to talk about today is the life of prayer. The life of prayer that we see emulated in Christ. And the life of prayer being twofold. First, we have the communal aspect, the communal aspect of the life of prayer, which we are all practicing right here today, right now, where we pray together as one community, as the body of Christ. And then we also have the individual aspect of prayer. So with the life of prayer, we have the communal aspect and we have the individual aspect. And if you remember, actually, um, when we celebrated the, free, the, feast of the, the Feast of the Cross, I mentioned that the cross has, you know, you have the vertical and then you have the horizontal. So the vertical was from us to God, right? The vertical line, the relationship between us and God. And that is um, when Christ was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? He, he said that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So remember, that was the vertical line. And then the second which is like it is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so that was the horizontal line. So by loving the neighbor, we also come together and pray together as one. So this is, this is very, very important because a lot of times, unfortunately, nowadays, we have uh, 
people that um, have this idea that they can have good spirituality only in their homes. But this, this isn't the case because we know that we are the body of Christ. And how can the arm be separate from the leg or the finger from the toe? How can we be separate from one another? So there has to be a sense of community even in prayer. And this is actually a deep sense of spirituality. So even with, with the monastics, um, they do pray all together, even though they have um, individual lives and they have lives dedicated to Christ and their spouse to Christ, yet they gather together still as a community and pray. The first quote I want to begin with is from St. Father John of Kronstadt, and he was uh, a Russian Orthodox priest that died in 1909. So it's pretty recent, a little over 100 years ago. He says, Sometimes during a long continued prayer, only a few minutes are really pleasing to God. Only a few moments constitute true prayer and true service to God Almighty. The chief thing in prayer is the nearness of the heart to God as proved by the sweetness of God's presence in the soul. It paints a beautiful picture because it really emphasizes when we open our hearts and are actually connected to God. That is the very reason why prayer exists, for us to commune with the divine. In monastic literature, there's a, a common example of three stages of, uh, three stages of monk or general spirituality in general. So, there, there are three S's. The first relationship is slave, the second servant, the third son. So the first relationship, again, slave, servant, son. So the first relationship is that between a slave and his master. The slave has no will. The slave is forced and his master orders him around and the slave pretty much has no will and goes from left to right, does whatever he is told. This is the first stage of spirituality and this is actually most commonly when, when we're young, we have this stage of still being immature, especially, especially in spirituality. And so our parents and our godparents, they have this, this, uh, this role of putting us into um, the spiritual life, whether that be prayer, whether that be reading the Bible daily, whether that be starting the Igbeya or starting the sacrament of confession or whatever it is. Our parents have this... Uh, this role and this responsibility to put us into the spiritual life. So this, this is the beginning where we don't really want to pray or we don't really want to go to church, but yet we do it anyways because we're forced. So this is the first stage of uh, spirituality. And then we have the second stage, and that's between a servant and their Lord. A servant and their Lord. So the relationship between a servant and their Lord is the servant is still... Serving, the, serving their Lord and still doing His will, 
But the servant is there out of his own will, out of his own wanting. A servant is not there by force. He chooses to be there and yet still chooses to, um, to execute the, the desires of his Lord. So he's still doing that which, his, that which the Lord commands just because it's, it's his job. So this is the second stage of, of spirituality where we want to be in church, but at the same time, we're still, we're still doing things by force. We haven't, we haven't um, matured fully spiritually yet, and so we're still having to be pushed. We're still having to be encouraged. We're still having to be shown how to do um, many things in the spiritual life. The third relationship is that between a son and his father. The son or any child of their father, especially when they're young, will, will always delight, delight in, um, in the bosom of the father while their father is holding them. And you, you find, you know, even small children, this, whenever they're crying or whatever, and the second their, their father or their mother takes them up, Crying ceases immediately. And so the love that is shared between the father and the son makes everything go away, makes every evil, makes every bad thing disappear. This is the third stage where the intimacy between the relationship of a son and a father really changes everything about the son. So now corresponding those three to prayer, between a slave and his master, a, a slave would say, I have to pray. And so he prays. And then between a servant and their Lord, he will say, I want to pray. But then between the son and the father, the son would say, I love to pray. So you have three different stages of prayer. One is I have to pray. The second is I want to pray. And the third is I love to pray. So when I have to pray, I feel like my will is, is irrelevant in the matter and I'm just doing what I was told. And this isn't, again, this isn't necessarily bad in and of its own, but it's a beginning step. And so in spirituality, there's levels of maturity. So it's, it's, not, it's not bad to start here, but we always have to be looking up. We always have to be excelling. We always have to be from moving glory to glory, as the, as the scriptures say. And then when we get to a point where we say, I want to pray. I want to pray because there's something I can get in return. You know, I have this anxiety. I have this depression. I have, I have these tough exams ahead of me. I have, uh, you know, looking forward to medical school or law school or whatever grad school there is. Or... You know, I, I have this, this person in mind I'm thinking about marriage or I have, um, I have this really important decision I have to make to move for a job or any serious decision. So we get to the second point of spirituality where we look at God as being someone who just gives us blessings and grace, which he does, but... This is, this is only the second stage and the final and, and I think 
the purest stage is when we love to pray simply because the intimacy that we share with God is so pivotal to our life that it's the only thing that gives us life. This is, this is like, it's a lifelong journey to get to this level. And myself, I, I'm, I'm still a beginner, so to get to a point where prayer becomes so crucial to our lives requires a lot of work, a lot of effort. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we, you know, we put it all on God and we say, Lord, give me the strength. Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. And again, this in it of itself is not bad, but we have to remember that in spirituality, and especially with prayer, there is a synergistic work. So the synergistic work is between God and man, ourselves, every single individual. Your spiritual life, or our spiritual life, my spiritual life, is the combined effort of God and myself. Now, because I am weak and I am sinful, I will fall and I will struggle. But with the fall comes always the rising up. And this, this rising up is kind of how we callous our mind. If you guys know what callous is, um, if you find someone that's a handyman or someone that works with their hands a lot or someone who plays guitar or someone uh, who uses their fingers a lot, you'll find that there are calluses or hard skin, skin that... Um, is, is not very smooth and it's hardened. And it's a response to all the pressure and all the stress that they put on their hands and in their fingers. And so that, that callus is what we have to form when we struggle in our, in our minds, in our, um, in our discipline. We have to be disciplined. And that discipline comes only through failure. It comes through going and falling and getting up, going, falling, getting up, going, falling, and getting up. And this is essentially what the spiritual life is throughout all these, uh, all, all these three stages. Now, to go from stage to, from stage, to stage not only requires our utmost, um, our utmost effort, but it also requires the guidance of a spiritual coach or a spiritual guide. I use, uh, I use the word coach just because um, I have a background in, uh, in, in personal training in the gym. So I, I like to use the example of someone who wants to get in shape or someone who wants to lose a few pounds or gain some muscle or whatever. What they're going to do, they're going to hire a strength coach, a personal trainer, because they don't really know what to do or they know what to do, but they're not sure how to do it. And so it's always best to have someone on the outside direct you. And the same goes with our spiritual life. We can't do it on our own. Um, just looking at the hist my history of, of seeing people at the gym, it's uh, sometimes you'll see, and you see these people walking around, but sometimes you'll find these guys with really, really big, strong biceps, and then they have chicken-like legs. So it looks really funny because there's a big imbalance. And so in our spiritual life, the same imbalance can happen when we focus 
for example, if we only focus on Agbeya or if we only focus on things we like, like reading. Reading is excellent, and reading is, is pivotal in the spiritual life. But there needs to be a balance. We can't only read. And when we pray, we can't only pray, you know, personal prayers, or we can't only pray the Igbeya. There's, there's so much that can, uh, that can help form the spiritual life. And like I said, it's crucial to have a spiritual guide with us going through these steps just so we won't overwhelm ourselves and so we won't, uh, we won't get in it too far. One comment I, I also wanna wanna touch on when we when we talk about prayer is uh, we get into this habit of trying to measure how successful our prayer was based on how uh, how much we felt it or how emotional we were. And feeling prayer is obviously a very very important thing, but it cannot be the only thing to which we measure the success of our prayer because there are times, just like in, in, in any relationship, especially in, in those of you who are married will know that you know, after X amount of years, the romance, the romance does, does die down, but the romance can't be the only thing that keeps a marriage together, right? And so, likewise, the emotional aspect or the feeling that we cling to in our prayer, which again is not bad and is very good and is a gift, is a gift from God through the Holy Spirit to us, but it can't be the reason why we, we give up on prayer. It's like, oh, you know what? I'm not really feeling it today. I'll, uh, I'll go to liturgy next week. Or you know what? You know, today's, today's the last... Uh, the last nightly beskha. Tomorrow I'm going. Tomorrow I'm going to Good Friday, and that's like almost ten hours. So, yeah, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll take it easy. There's there's no point. I'm not really feeling it. So, going off of feeling and emotion is uh, is very very dangerous to the spiritual life. And I want to make a difference between being emotional and emotionalism. So. Being emotional or, or having feelings through prayer is, is something very good, and it's part of our human nature. We have emotions, we have these feelings, and it's important that we can express them, especially through our prayer, because prayer is our relationship with God. And so in any relationship, we're going to have feelings, we're going to have emotions, we're going to have ups, and we're going, have, going to have downs, and that's the, the natural course of, of uh, being human. But if we're crippled by that and that is the emotionalism where we only think it real or we only think it um, holy or worthy when we're feeling it then that's when the emotionals the emotion uh, has become an idol of itself and so we have to be careful with ourselves whenever whenever we get to a point where we can distinguish I'm feeling prayer and I'm not really feeling prayer. The most important thing is the discipline to pray, is the effort to pray. There's um there's a an old movie. It's it's not very old. I think it came out like 2004. It was called Bruce Almighty. I don't know if you guys have seen it, 
But the, the final scene, it's basically about um, someone who, he's having a tough life, you know, he's working a, a job trying to get a promotion and his worst enemy ends up getting the promotion and, you know, laughs in his face and um, the woman he's living with is like giving him a hard time and pressuring him for marriage and he's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to try praying. He tries to pray and then he, he tries to pray in his car and then he crashes his car. And so he gets furious with God. He's like, you know what? I'm done with you. I, I can do your job so much better than you can. And so God appears to him and tells him, okay, here you go. From now on, you're God. You can do whatever you want. You have all my powers. And so in the beginning, he's happy and he does, uh, he does change his entire life and he gets whatever he wants. But then he starts hearing these voices and these voices are the prayers of uh, all those people in the city around him. And he gets overwhelmed. And then, um, so the final scene, he's actually um, supposed to be dead. Uh, and then in the vision, he sees God. And then God asks him, or actually he, he tells him, like, what do you want me to do now? And God tells him, I want you to start praying. And so this is his first prayer. He's like, um, Lord, feed the hungry. Grant peace to all of mankind. And he's really, you know, trying to get in and he's closing his eyes. And then he turns to God and asks him, how was that? Was that okay? And he's like, yeah, that's great if you want to be Miss America. Um, and so he asks him, what do you really care about? What is it that you really want? What, what is it that is important to you? And then he ends up praying about um, the woman that he falls in love with. And then God asks him, do you want this woman back? And he says, no, I want her to be happy. I want her to be seen as I see her through you. And so what he learns, that the whole point of this is that he finally learns how to be selfless. And it's that selflessness that guides our prayer. And it's actually that selfless, selflessness that is the result of our prayer because prayer in and of itself is also a transformative thing. When, when we pray, we enter into communion with the divine. And, and that, that's, a marvelous, that's a marvelous thing. That's an incredible thing. That is a grace only given to humankind. No other creature on the earth. The fact that we are able to commune and communicate with God at any time. And um, unfortunately, we... Uh, we underestimate how precious and how valuable that gift is. So tomorrow is a day with almost 10 hours of prayer. Great and Holy Friday. Out of curiosity, does, does anyone know how many times we say um, in the entirety of Bascha week? Any any guesses for a number? 200, 300, 400, 500. Any guess? How many times we say Thok Tetigom?
okay. We, we don't have to get our calculators out. But we say it 756 times. And this is, this is morning Beskha and night Beskha. So it's the whole, the whole week of Beskha. From Sunday night until uh, Friday evening. So 756 times. I hope we can, we can try and really pray as many of those 756 times as we can. And of course, nobody's perfect. No one, no one can, uh, can attain perfection, but we, we strive. And we, we, we strive and we continue to put an effort through our prayer because it is only by praying that we learn how to pray. And this is one of actually the, the common things in the monastic liturgy. Whenever a novice would go to an Abba and ask him, how do, I, how do I learn how to pray? The common answer was, in a sense, you learn how to pray by praying. And so it is this constant, mindful, mindful prayer. The key word is mindful, where our hearts are completely open and vulnerable to God. When we pray, and this is that communion with, with the divine that is, uh, is so crucial to our spiritual life. So I hope we can all strive to meet the divine, the divine presence of God in as many moments as we can. The final quote I want to leave you with is from uh, a book by Abu Namat al-Miskeen, uh, or Father Matthew the Poor. If uh, anyone has any... Uh, any desires to read about prayer? There's quite a few books I would recommend. Beginning to pray, anything by Metropolitan Anthony Anthony Bloom, but beginning beginning to pray is a particularly good one. And then um, Theophan the Recluse has Unseen Warfare and and also um, other other works on prayer. But this. Um, this work that I'm going to be quoting from is called Orthodox Prayer Life, and it's by Abu Namath al-Maskeen, or Father Matthew the Poor. He says, Prayer then has become the stance of the soul toward its maker in and through the awareness of its renewal by the Holy Spirit. In this renewal, the soul recovers through Christ the image of its original sonship that was lost through sin and becomes the son who finds no rest except only in his loving father's bosom. So he paints the picture of, again, that renewal, that renewal of ourselves that we get by the Holy Spirit. And is this renewal where we regain the image of Christ, the image of Christ that we see today in the Garden of Gethsemane to his father, where he finds no comfort except in the Father. And so likewise, we ourselves should find the greatest comfort when we pray to God. May God grant us all a mind conscious of our sins so that we may offer a true repentance through a life of prayer to him. Be the glory with his good Father and the Holy Spirit, both now and always unto the ages of all ages. Amen.